Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Podcast in the Inland Pacific Northwest, beautiful Inland Pacific Northwest on this, the eve of the first day of autumn 2019, so that makes it the 22nd of September. On my Vera Med video lecture, I introduced to you the leptin adipokine story. Leptin is an adipokine, which means that it acts as a hormone which regulates lipid homeostasis, and it is generated from the adipose. The first episode of the leptin discussion, as I said, was on my video series, Med, and you can go and listen to that and watch that. This is going to be now an audio only, and so I'm going to truncate the, the whole introduction, just basically get to the fundamentals of where we are so that you know what's going on. Um, for a long time, it was, of course, postulated that a nutritional state is somehow monitored via signaling from the adipose tissue. And that's because we are oligenous organisms. We store depot fat uh, against the concentration gradient. And we do so because that is our storage form. Uh, and the form is actually triacylglycerol uh, for the bioenergetics of the entire system. So in times of famine, after a long feast, the feast induces triacylglycerol biosynthesis via fatty acid synthesis and uh, the entire lipogenic pathway, which is basically uh, confined in primarily the liver, although you do get it in other tissues, including muscle. When you consume a meal, no matter if it's carbohydrate, amino acids, uh, that is in the form of protein, uh, or the lipid itself, all of that excess carbon gets packaged into, first synthesized into triacylglycerol, the neutral lipid, and then packaged into lipoproteins, lipoproteins and trafficked um, out into the uh, bloodstream where they end up in visceral fat. You store that as what's called depot fat. And then that fat is called upon via hydrolysis of the fatty acids, mobilization of triacylglycerol, the fatty acids being sent back to the target organs where the fatty acids can be beta oxidized to generate NADH and FADH2, as well as acetyl-CoA. The acetyl-CoA can be converted to ketone bodies, acetoacetate or beta hydroxybutyrate, and feed whatever tissues require carbon in times of long-term fasting or famine or starvation. That's how the body works. So the adipokine, the particular one we're talking about today is leptin, helps regulate metabolism by controlling appetite, which is associated with certain nuclei in the central nervous system in the brain, right? So the brain then gets a signal that the adipose tissue is uh, sated, that is, it, it's, it, there's enough adipose tissue that is formed, there's enough total visceral fat so that regulates then the amount of appetite because the visceral fat, again, is not only the indirect source of energy, it's also the direct signaling mechanism by which the brain knows that there's adequate amount of storage carbon so that it can be utilized for long-term fasting or even starvation. So that's the idea behind the leptin, okay, and adipokines in general. So leptin works with through a receptor. And it controls food intake. It, it's, it also regulates other hormones in the central nervous system. And it also indirectly and directly controls energy expenditure. 
But not only that, it has other targets besides the central nervous system. It also targets the kidney, bowel, pancreas, and the muscle. Um, and it's also heavily involved in the innate and the adaptive immune system. It, for example, it stimulates Th1 lymphocytes, inhibits Th2 lymphocytes, uh, and it also has a role in natural killer cytotoxicity, chemotaxis, the induction of cytokines from all those T cells and also from endothelial cells and from innate immune cells, uh, and also controls um, the basic CD4 plus, CD4 positive, naive T cell proliferation, sometimes the T, uh, and where T regs are turned down by leptin. Um, leptin's also uh, involved in reproduction, placental function, trophoblast invasion, fetal functions, many of them, gonadotrophins and gonadal hormones. It has a vascular function. Um, leptin uh, is involved in atherosclerosis, angiogenesis, and oxidative stress, and also in bone and cartilage, where it regulates bone mass, chondrocytogenesis, rheumatoid arthritis is associated with leptin metabolism, as is osteoarthritis, both arthritic forms. So leptin has pleiotropic effects in the body. The way leptin works, it binds its receptor. Uh, there are two different types of receptors, uh, long form and short form. They dimerize and through a series of JAK-STAT pathways and SOX-S3, um, which all become phosphorylated on tyrosine residues. That dimer leptin receptor then signals through the STAT3 pathway. STAT3 then acts as a transcription factor, which translocates to the nucleus, and genes are expressed. Um, and I'll tell you more about what genes are turned on, but I just want you to understand that this is a, a, a an associated signal transduction pathway that also includes P13 kinase and AKT phosphorylation, the insulin um, uh, receptor substrate, um, as well as various components of the RAS, RAF, MAC, and MAP kinase pathways. So leptin is integral and reassociates with all those central paradigmatic signal transduction pathways. So uh, we talked about the OB gene. The OB gene was first identified in 1994. It was uh, first detected via just old-fashioned positional cloning, and then it was finally expressed in adipose tissue and determined what it was. It was a secreted 14 kilodalton polypeptide, and that is indeed leptin. Circulates in the plasma of normal animals, and its levels are elevated in certain uh, genetically disposed obese mice, such as the DB. Administration of the hormone, which now is called leptin, was found to significantly decrease body weight and adipose tissue mass in the OB mice and wild-type animals, but didn't have any discernible effect in the DB, and that's because the DB is basically associated with the receptor. We talked about this in, uh, in the, in the Verimed uh, video lecture. Leptin, then, is the afferent signal in a negative feedback loop. So it works in a negative feedback loop mechanism. So it maintains homeostatic control of adipose tissue mass, and it links changes in energy stores, uh, basically to a, a nested set of adaptive physiological responses. Um, signaling form of leptin receptor, which is called LEPRB, is expressed primarily in the brain, uh, and most of leptin's effect on all the end organs are indirectly via that uh, CNS pathway. Leptin also regulates the immune function, as I told you, also through the uh, LEPRB uh, receptor. Uh, it regulates the activity of key neural populations in the arcuate nucleus of the hypothalamus, where it basically inhibits the orexigenic NPY AGRP neurons while stimulating the anorexigenic POMC neurons. 
So leptin also acts on other brain regions, but that's the main function. It works through either NPY uh, in a negative way and POMC in a promotive way. And don't worry, we're going to talk a lot about those two types of neurons here directly. Uh, we talked a little bit about spice variants of the receptor. Um, and there are, of course, forms of the spice. Uh, there are, of course, spice variants of the receptor, and they have different and differential levels of activity and expression in different tissue types. The leptin receptor itself is a cytokine family receptor. So that's what's called a dipokine, like cytokine. You see only a dipo for lipid. Leptin binding activates the JAK2 kinase. It leads to a phosphorylation of at least three tyrosine residues, all of which are located on uh, the C-terminal receptor domain. It's an intracellular domain of the leptin receptor. Phosphorylation leads to the binding, of course, then to STAT3 to yet another tyrosine uh, residue. And once that gets uh, phosphorylated, the SHIP2 gets activated, and that binds to that phosphorylated tyrosine. Uh, phosphorylated STAT3, they increase the expression of several genes, and the SHIP2 activates the MAP kinase signaling cascade, STAT3 induces the transcription of all kinds of genes, including its SOX3, which is necessary for signal transduction, because SOC, S-O-C-S-3, that is, not an X, a C-S-3, SOX, in turn inhibits the JAK2 and diminishes leptin signaling. So there's a feedback loop there. And that works through another tyrosine residue called uh, 985. That's the sequence number. Um, leptin signaling in, in the protein sequence. Leptin signaling is also decreased by a phosphatase 1 beta, <laughs> which is a phosphotyrosine phosphatase. And there are a lot of factors that are associated with that, some of which still haven't quite been worked out. So it does have that feedback loop of phosphatase. There are a lot of other signal transduction pathways that are activated by leptin, although uh, there are a lot of inhibitors too. Some of them have uh, a, a tremendously powerful ability to shut down leptin activity. Other ones modulate leptin receptor activity. There's also potassium ATP channel involved, and that's also associated with the signal transduction cascades in certain cells. So there's a lot of things going on here. But again, primarily we're talking about the synaptic inputs in the hypothalamus. So then you're talking uh, neuropeptide Y and AGRP and the POMC neurons. And uh, how it regulates all those different neurons now is a hot topic in research. All right. All right. I'm not going to talk about the immune response today. I'm going to give you a whole series of lectures on that. So just remember that adipose signaling and leptin are co-migratory. Leptin modulates dietary intake and body mass it does so by stimulating the pro-opiomelanocortin, that's the P-O-M-C or POMC, neurons, neurons that have the POMC as a gene that gets expressed and then converted to multiple polypeptides, which are part of the POMC um, paradigmatic pathway. Um, while it, in, it enhances, stimulates POMC, it inhibits neuropeptide Y and the AGRP, which stands for agouti-related protein. Those neurons, NPY, AGRP neurons, and that's all in the arcuate nucleus of the hypothalamus, which is, of course, proximal to something called the median eminence. And the median eminence basically um, uh, emerges from the median eminence as circumventricular tissue, which actually provides sort of a porous blood-brain barrier. Um, if you get a leptin receptor knockout in a POMC neuron, you get um, a diminishment of food intake and body weight after leptin treatment. 
a CRISPR knockout of the leptin receptor in the AGRP uh, neuronal system correlates with obesity. So there are more than one neural nucleus that responds to leptin. And we've already kind of figured that out because of binding studies. Mutations that disrupt melanocortin signaling, that's the part of the POMC pathway, in animals and in humans themselves, uh, in clinical trials even, cause leptin resistance. And when you get leptin resistance, you automatically start getting obesity, kind of like insulin resistance, right? And that suggests that they mediate some of the other leptin effects, which we don't quite yet understand. POMC neurons also regulate glucose metabolism in response to leptin independently of all the other effects I've just been mentioning, including body mass. Now, a little bit about the median eminence, okay? I want to make sure you know what that is. This is a part of the central nervous system. So the median eminence is a functional link between the hypothalamus and essentially the anterior pituitary gland, okay? So, you know, you have the hypothalamic pituitary arc, right? Hypothalamic pituitary adrenal arc, HPA arc, in the central nervous system. So this X is a functional um, link the median eminence between the hypothalamus and the anterior pituitary. And basically, this median eminence lies in the center of what's called the tubercinarium and is composed of an extensive array of a lot of uh, laid down blood vessels. There's a lot of angiogenesis that goes on there. And there are nerve endings, of course, associated with that. And so it makes the, the blood supply extremely rich in all of the hormones that could be generated from the HPA axis, right? And that all of that arises from what's known as the superior hypophysial artery, which is a branch of the internal carotid artery system uh, for you anatomists. That sends off many small branches that form capillary loops, of course. The smaller capillary loops extend into internal and external zones of that median eminence. They form something called an anastomosis, and that drains into sinusoids, that become the pituitary portal veins that enter the vascular pool of the pituitary gland. So that's the pathway for that uh, flow of hormones and whatever is moving through that median eminence. So the flow of blood and all those short loops is thought to be predominantly, if not maybe even exclusively, in the hypothalamic to pituitary direction. So from the hypothalamus to the pituitary, not back the other way. So it's a well-developed plexus, and it results in a tremendous increase in vascular surface area because of that median eminence. And in addition, the vessels are fenestrated, that adds more surface area, and allows diffusion of peptide-releasing factors or site of action in the entire anterior, anterior pituitary gland complex, right? all that tissue. Because this vascular complex, of course, is, the base of the, is at the base of the hypothalamus. It's what we called arterialized, okay? It provides a venous drainage to the pituitary, and that composes its own little kind of circulatory system, analogous, um, some would argue, to the portal vein system of the liver. <clears throat> and in fact, it's been termed the hypophysial portal circulation. Okay, So the, if you look at a median sagittal section through the human brain, it's going to show you what's called a circumventricular organ. Uh, and that part of that is the optic chiasm, the corpus callosum, the anterior and posterior commissures, commissures the area postrema, the choroid plexus, and then the median eminence is buried in there, along with the neurohypophysis and the organum vasculosum, 
as well as, which is a component actually of the lamina terminalis, the pineal glands associated with this region, as is the subcommissural organ, um, as well as the subphonical organ. These are all nuclei within the brain associated with the HPV axis. So you, now what's linked to this, you want to know what kind of neurons are ultimately associated with this region. You know the tissue and the anatomy, you know what are the neurons? Well, basically they are gonadotropin-releasing hormone neurons. So um, they project into the median eminence and those neurons then function through a G-protein couple receptor, which is expressed in the gonadotropes and the GnRH neurons, both inclusive. Thus, that the gonadotropin locus, right, can inhibit gonadotropin secretion by decreasing the activity of the GnRH neurons directly. It also directly inhibits the gonadotropes, NPFF, which binds to the G-protein-coupled receptor. Now, the NPFF is a neuropeptide. NPFF stands for um, the sequence FLFQPORF amide or F8 amide, which is phenylalanine, leucine, phenylalanine, glutamine, proline, glutamine, arginine, phenylalanine, amino. So both of those are endogenous octopeptides that possess uh, cholecystokinin-like anti-opioid action. So you've got NPFF and its receptor. They're densely distributed throughout the CNS, but especially in that spinal dorsal horn uh, and in the PAG, all right, periacroductal uh, gray. Uh, and that's all important in opioid-mediated pain modulation. So see, this is really a tightly coupled, really central associated region, and leptin's playing a role right there. There's one more thing that's associated with this, uh, that's the KISS peptide. So KISS peptin neurons also project to the gonadotropin-releasing hormone neurons. And they, ex they, they express a different G-protein couple receptor called GPR54. And KISS peptin, which is this peptide, is thought to be important for puberty onset to adult regulation of gonadotropin secretion and indeed fertility. So kispeptin also has a potent anti-metastasis activity in several tumors. So it's been looked at in lots of different biomedical backgrounds. <laughs> okay. Now, a little bit more about kispeptin. So kis-1 is a metastasis suppressor. That's kispeptin-1, also known as metastin. Okay. What kispeptin-1 does is it suppresses metastases of both melanomas and breast carcinomas. So it's getting a lot of kicked up interest, kicking up a lot of dust in the uh, cancer research area. It does have an efficacy for primary tumorigenicity only. It inhibits chemotaxis and invasion and thereby attenuates metastasis in malignant melanomas. So it seems to really be functioning there. At the biochemical level, this kiss peptide may regulate cell matrix adhesion, and that's, of course, associated with cytoskeletal reorganization. And so that makes it kind of similar to how the integrins work, right? So kispeptin stimulates, this is where it gets back into our leptin story, the gonadotropin-releasing hormone, induced gonadotropin secretion, okay? So it's linked into the leptin uh, paradigm. So kispeptin regulates pupital activation of the GnRH neurons, right? 
Any polymorphism in the terminal exon of the RNA that codes for this kisspeptin results in two splice variants generating actually not two non-functional form, but two functional protein isoforms with slightly different valence downstream. There are diseases and abnormalities associated with kids' peptide mutations. There's a whole database on that. Um, in general, uh, you, uh, we can go back, we can scale back up, and we can talk about hypophysiotopic hormones, right? This is part of the hypothalamic track. <laughs> it's a, so a hypophysiotropic hormone is a hormone that's secreted by the hypothalamus that stimulates or inhibits the adenohypophysis portion of the pituitary. Remember, that's how we got into this whole discussion, right? So you have CRH, the corticotropic releasing hormone. Of course, that's released directly from the hypothalamus. What does it do? It interacts with the pituitary to produce the adrenocorticotropin hormone. And of course, it's involved in the stress response, general stress, GNRH, which is the growth hormone releasing hormone. That hormone is released from the hypothalamus also, causes the release of growth hormone from the pituitary gland. Um, there's also a, a stomach peptide, that ghrelin, that's associated with that pathway, which I've talked in previous Verivmed and Authentic Biochemistry lectures. I'm not going to say any more than that today. There's also a growth hormone inhibitory hormone, and it's got a special name. It's called somatostatin. We all have heard of this. And that inhibits the release of growth hormone and of TSH as well, and suppresses the release of gastrointestinal and pancreatic hormones, and also suppresses the exocrine secretory function of the pancreas, right? That's where it gets its basic name. PRH is also a hypophysiotropic uh, hormone. That's prolactin-releasing hormone. It's a polypeptide again, originates in the hypothalamus, and it stimulates the secretion of prolactin and from the pituitary gland. Then there's GNRH. We've already covered this, the gonadotropin-releasing hormone. It's made by the hypothalamus, and the GNRH causes the pituitary to make luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone. Okay, so it's involved in various aspects of uh, male and, but mostly female reproduction in terms of the menstrual cycle. Those hormones, of course, are all linked to reproductive phases in humans. Then there's the TRH. That's, of course, the thiotropin-releasing hormone. Uh, that hormone is released from the hypothalamus as well, controls the release of thyroid-stimulating hormone, and that comes out of, again, the anterior pituitary. The pituitary hormones are, of course, ACTH, LH, FSH, vasopressin, and the all-exciting oxytocin, which is also indirectly linked to reproductive behavior. So you've got the hypothalamus, you've got the adenohypophysis, which is basically the anterior pituitary, and then all those are feeding in with those pituitary hormones like ACTH, TSH, FSH, LH, and growth hormone. Those are all working downstream. For example, growth hormone working in muscle, liver, uh, bone tissue. Um, the neurohypophysis or posterior pituitary works on, with via vasopressin, oxytocin, vasopressin regulating water resorption, oxytocin, uterine contraction, for example. ACTH works with the adrenal cortex as your final APA portion of the HPA axis. You get adrenocortical hormones there, and they go directly into the muscle, liver, and other tissues like bone. Androgens, of course, are also turned on by the adenohypophysis or interior, interior pituitary. That's the interior pituitary. Uh, and testes and ovaries are fed into with FSH and LH. 
Uh, if it's an ovary, you got estrogens and progestins. And if it's the testes, it's androgens and the cannabis. Those are all signal downstream to muscle, liver, and bone, amongst other things. There's feedback at the level of those adrenocortical hormones uh, and androgens and estrogens and somatostatins, et cetera, which I'm sure you've heard before. All right. So remember the gametotropin releasing factor, or GNFRF, is just a peptide. Uh, I'm not going to give you the sequence of it over the phone. That is via uh, audio, uh, but it's a very small peptide. So a paper published in Neuroendocrinology in 2015, that's volume 102, page 184 and ongoing, tells us this. The GnRH neurosecretion and the control of the ovulatory cycle in females is dependent on an estrogen feedback. Feedback is via 17-beta estradiol, and that's secreted from the ovaries, which reaches the pituitary in the brain via regular circulation. Um, if you take this 17-beta estradiol, also known as E2, and treat it with overectomized females, it initially inhibits GnRH and LH secretion. And that process, of course, is negative feedback. Kispeptin neurons also express this E2 uh, receptor alpha now, okay? So that's the 17-beta estradiol receptor alpha, E2 receptor alpha. And that's where E2 stimulates KIS-1 messenger RNA expression in the brain. And, of course, the kispeptin, as we've been saying, part of that uh, medial uh, eminence uh, component of signal transducing through the HP from the HPA axis. Kispeptin is one of those potent excitatory neurotransmitters actually directly into the GnRH neuronal locus. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to leave kispeptin behind. And now we're going to talk about the POMC and then we're going to call it uh, a rep. Processing of the pro-opio-melanocortin it gives you various bio, uh, bioactive peptides, and they're all coming from the adenohypophysis. So POMC is first split into long end terminal fragment, the adrenocorticotropin ACTH, the beta lipotropin, which is beta LPH. Uh, then you get uh, also melanocyte stimulating hormone, that's alpha MSH, corticotropin related intermediate lobe peptide, CLIP. The beta LPH generates beta endorphin and beta MSH. The N-terminal fragments for the process, the smaller N-terminal fragments, such as just simply NPOMC, which is the first 74 or so amino acids in the rodent model, uh, and that POMC-176 in human and POMC-1-80 to in pigs. So it's all kind of all over the map, right? Um, the gamma MSH peptides can be generated in the adrenal cortex, uh, and that further then signals downstream. All of this you can uh, get from just looking at the basic literature. So we're going to stop here. We just kind of started to introduce POMC. We're going to come back now, all the way back, full swing in my next Authentic Biochemistry audio broadcast um, to get back to talking about leptin. I was just giving you there kind of a primer on how leptin is, is right in the axis of the HPA uh, axis and therefore is involved directly or indirectly because of the various neurons it, it reacts with, and those neurons then being specific neurons, for example, NPY versus GnRH um, uh, versus AGRP versus POMC, that all signals through those hierarchical pathways, and in so doing, not just regulating uh, dietary intake, 
but the entire stress response and all of the feedback control mechanisms that regulate metabolism and both the innate and the acquired immune response. More even than that coming, but right now I'm going to say bye. This is Dr. Dan Guerra saying bye for now and stay tuned for our increasingly interesting story on leptin. Thank you.